0: Hi, thank you for tuning in to another episode of State of the Arts, a podcast where art forms are embraced and artists are celebrated. I'm Lee, a hostess of Ceremonies, and this is episode 167. My guest this week is Robert Spinazola, who is a steel sculptor. Welcome to my show. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Lee, for having me. It's such a pleasure and honor to have you on board, and you have a very interesting collection that you've just released to the public. And by the way, everyone, this is the Lunar New Year special episode. And what a perfect time to interview you because your collection is the Chinese characters in art form, sculptures.
1: The three characters, which you actually saw yesterday at that opening at the one uh, Martine gallery in White Plains, are three of the characters. I was doing a little survey today of how many characters I've done, and I think I've done 14 characters you saw yesterday. And in this show, it was a Valentine-themed show. These were three red painted sculptures. One was fire. One was love. And... One was Climb, which was a heart on a ladder. I've made other sculptures in three dimensions, also in red, which I find is the most interesting for those sculptures. And everything I do is with found materials and is also reworked, reshaped, welded together. And in these cases, they're painted. I find it very interesting to try to have my take on very traditional kanji and calligraphic symbols.
0: And you did such a remarkable job too, but beautiful. Thank you,
1: thank you so much,
0: yeah. And the shade of red you selected is actually very good luck in the Chinese culture. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's good to know. I, yeah, I try, to, I try something that in the red to really light up the viewer in those terms. Sorry, I have two sculptures. One is the symbol of jade, which is painted green, which would make sense because I think that's how in calligraphy, if it was painted, it would be painted in green because it's for wealth and, and money. And the second one, uh, and also the color of jade. And the second one is I have two years ago for the year of the rat, and a silver rat.
0: What gave you an interest in Chinese writing? Well, when I was in
1: college a long time ago uh, in the mid 70s, I, my degree was in art history, and I got a, My major was Mesoamerican art, uh, mostly of the Olmecs, but I could have, with a little more work, gotten a, a second degree in Chinese art. I love painting Chinese paintings from, let's say, well, going back a thousand years BC on forward and remarkable artists who, with unbelievable talents. And um, I just love that, that kind of painting, painting style. Um, I likened it to travels on, uh, my own travels from Michigan where I grew up many years ago to traveling through the Northeast on a motorcycle and seeing the mountains with, with fog and haze. It reminded me of these paintings and later, much later, maybe um, that was like in the mid-70s, like the early 90s, I just said, well, let me just try something. So I got a book, Read and Write Chinese. Do you see that there? Yes. <laughs> uh, with Cantonese and Mandarin pronunciations by, um, let me think of her name here, Rita Wah Choi. And I use these and I have, it's very funny. I mean, these have been in my studio and they get, I don't know if you can see those pictures, but um, they have burn marks uh, from, you know, uh, when I'm welding, flying embers and things. Or if I do, I, I circle things. I, I fold pages where I'm, right there, you can see the burn marks on there. It'll be a little hard for people who are listening to this broadcast, but you see what I use. And then I, I take that and then I try to stay somewhat close to what this, so the people who can read the language can understand what I'm doing, um, but I'm having fun. It's not, you know, it's not exactly uh, because it's not painting and those are not the characters that I, that I use. I make of my own. So they're not exactly as the painting strokes that I find them interesting. And they're constructed of all these different parts that I, create and shape from found pieces of steel. They get brushed with a, a wire brush which causes a lot of commotion and a lot of dust. And then they're cleaned off. they're cut with either a torch, generally with a torch, and then they're ground on a grinder to make the edges smoother and whatever shape they've got to be. After that, um, I lay them out. We call it just to call it a stick welder, but that it's the simplest of welding techniques. That's been around since the 18, I don't know, 70s, 80s. Then after the pieces is welded and cleaned, in most of the cases, the pieces get an oil finish that has a poly in it. They look more like basic metal, like a ground metal look. But the pieces that you saw yesterday get painted, prime painted, and yeah, that's how they end up.
0: Which piece took you the longest?
1: Of the pieces that are based in Chinese calligraphy, I would say, let me think, the tiger. Of the two-dimensional pieces, maybe the horse, or oh, the rooster, there you go. The rooster is has a lot of parts of the character. There's probably 20 brush strokes in there. So yeah, that, that probably took the longest. Now, besides the two-dimensional pieces, which hang on a wall, much like a painting does, I've done three-dimensional pieces, which are on my website, one I did was called The Kiss. One is called Fluidity, can be described as delightful. Depends upon which translation I'm looking at. Another one's called Goodness, which is also like mother and child. So the lower part of the piece, which is about off of the ground, maybe four feet off of the ground, is a calligraphy for rabbit. And it's in red paint on steel, it's, but it's three-dimensional. So you can read rabbit only when you look at it directly. And once you, if you come from the side, it disappears because there's, it makes no sense. But on top of that, I made a life-size rabbit that's about two and a half feet long. And it's made out of motorcycle parts and tools. And it's leaping over the calligraphy rabbit. And that's in black paint. That's on my website.
0: And I've seen it all. Amazing. It's captivating.
1: Thank you. Thank yes. you. I find many cultures interesting. Well, speaking now about the, this particular works, but I also did spend some time in the 70s visiting my cousin, who's a playwright in Chicago. And now I in New York. He had a friend, Richard Hunt, who was who is a very famous sculptor, uh, uh, a man of color in Chicago. And I saw his studio. This, I was probably, this is probably nineteen seventy or so and he had this fabulous collection of African art fabulous collection uh, it was like a museum in his studio and he must have had 50 pieces And I said wow this is incredible and then 15 years later I decided to make my own symbols based on my interpretation of similar art so I have a whole collection that's based on that uh, probably as many pieces of in that vein as I did in the in this vein and I'm not trying to uh, in any way step on any any cultures I'm excited about it so I'm trying to you know ha- make my own sort of art of about it you know in a, in that way
0: yeah. well it's a very touching tribute to the cultures that you create thank you for. yeah
1: <laughs> i'm not trying to appropriate i'm just trying to like i love it and i want to you know and I, at the time, I mean, those sculptures I saw of uh, Richard Hunt were probably close to thousands and beyond thousands. And I thought I never could afford one of these. I'll just make my own. So that's what I did. And those have been very successful too. And getting back to the, the, the question about the, the sculptures that have taken the longest, I have a, I've been making art for 49 years. So I've been in this field a long time. And I've been in New York for 45 years. But uh, I have uh, made a a huge collection of art over the time over this this time, and the most the art with the most time would have to be, I believe that I have a tiger which is in Ward Pound Ridge uh, Park Bedford Hills, and it is nine feet from its tip of its nose to its tail, and it's six feet tall. That took probably three solid months, three months of time to make that. It's a leaping tiger on its back two feet. It's only held by two one-inch bolts and the complete uh, tiger itself is, three quarters is off of the base. The base is about 500 pounds. The tiger is between, is around 250 pounds. It's gotta hold it up obviously. But the, getting the balance of that <clears throat> took a lot, <laughs> took a lot of engineering for me. I'm, you know, um, uh, I have a degree in art, but not in engineering, and it was a lot of trial and error, so to speak.
0: Yeah. How do you transport your pieces?
1: Oh well, interesting question. Originally, I made I the biggest pieces I've made besides that tiger were some what I call horse-inspired sculptures. And let me just backtrack for a second. The horse sculptures are are a metaphor for Detroit. New. That sounds a little odd to probably to people, how does he get a horse from Detroit? Detroit is a motor city, they make cars. So my horses are a symbol of horse power in an abstracted way. So they're made out of parts of cars and trucks all kinds of tools, things. I And they're all 100% recycled. Everything I find, I find, pretty much found. Although I must say, in the last 10 years, people have brought me things to my studio, just left them at my studio door with a note. Can you can use this. People call me all the time. I've got all this. My grandfather's garage is empty, and we found a bunch of steel. Can use it. So getting back to the horses, the first horse I made um and it's kind of a, it's a life-size fifteen and fifteen-hand horse, which is a big horse, and it's it's running on. That horse is running on one foot. So there's a lot of engineering, and it was welded to the base and the foot and the whole thing, and it took. Once I completed it, <laughs> I had to get eight guys, eight of my buddies, to help me move it. It did well. It sold. It, it, it Actually, right now, it's in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. It got bought by someone. In People sold the house with the sculpture. And then those people moved to, Arizona, to um, Arizona and moved it with them. So after that, I went, this is crazy. I can't do this anymore. I can't make one giant piece because I can't get eight guys at one time you know eight friends want to wear out my friendships so all my large scale sculptures come apart I made several large scale horses and those all uh, let's say the base is one piece a, a flat base is maybe inch and a half thick steel by 15 20 inches that weighs 200 pounds and then there's a bolt that attaches a leg to that and that leg is separate and then um then the body of let's say a horse will be the next piece which bolts to that and then the head may bolt to the body the tail bolts to you know so on and on so they can be moved pretty much um just because of (laughs) i learned i learned my lesson
0: Well, that's good. It's a growing experience, you know. Yes. So how does your creative process work? You start with a sketch? You
1: know, this is going to sound a little weird. Ward Pound Ridge uh, Park, Bedford Hills. And it is nine feet from its tip of its nose to its tail. And it's six feet tall. That took probably three solid months, three months of time. make that it's a leaping tiger on its back two feet it's only held by two one inch bolts and the complete tiger itself is three quarters is off of the base the base is about 500 pounds the tiger is between is around 250 pounds it's got to hold it up obviously but the getting the balance of that a lot of engineering for me i'm you know um uh, I have a degree in art, but not in engineering. And it was a lot of trial and error, so to speak.
0: How do you transport your pieces?
1: Oh, well, interesting question. Originally, I made I, the biggest pieces I've made, besides that tiger, were some what I call horse-inspired sculptures. And let me just backtrack for a second. The horse sculptures are are a metaphor for Detroit. That sounds a little odd probably to people. How does he get a horse from Detroit? Detroit is a motor city. They make cars. So my horses are a symbol of horsepower in an abstracted way. So they're made out of parts of cars and trucks, all kinds of tools, things I and they're all 100% recycled. Everything I find, I pretty much found. Although I must say, in the last 10 years people have brought me things to my studio and just left them at my studio door with a note can you can use this people call me all the time i've got all this my grandfather's garage is empty and we found a bunch of steel can use it so getting back to the horses the first horse i made um and it's kind of a it's a life-size 15 and a 15 hand horse which is a big horse and it's, it's running on, that horse is running on one foot. So there's a lot of engineering and it was welded to the base and the foot and the whole thing. And it took, once I completed it, <laughs> I had to get eight guys, eight of my buddies to help me move it. It did well. It sold. It, it, it actually, right now it's in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, it got bought by someone in people sold the house with the sculpture and then those people moved to Arizona and moved it with them. So after that, I went, this is crazy. I can't do this anymore. I can't make one giant piece because I can't get eight guys at one time to, you know, eight friends want to wear out my friendships. So all my large scale sculptures come apart. I made several large scale horses and those all uh, let's say the base is one piece a, a flat base is maybe inch and a half thick steel by 15 20 inches that weighs 200 pounds and then there's a bolt that attaches a leg to that and that leg is separate and then um then the body of let's say a horse will be the next piece, which bolts to that. And then the head may bolt to the body, the tail bolts to, you know, so on and on. So they can be moved pretty much um, just because of, <laughs> I learned I learned my lesson.
0: Well, that's good. It's a growing experience, you know. Yes. So when, how does your creative process work? You start with a sketch? You know,
1: this is going to sound a little weird. I don't sketch. I, I probably... When I began, I started just assembling things out of motorcycle parts. I was in school, I was in college. Um, I was in before I got, I got to graduate school, and then I left graduate school to become an artist. But, um, and it was an art history, it was not in the fine arts, it was the other field. So I was doing very abstract things, and they were interesting. And where I was, where I had my studio, uh, the people who owned the house, I rented the space. He said, I should try to do some animal forms. Oh, it's a good idea. So I, I had made a, a horse. I made two horses, but they were really wild looking creatures. I think you saw a picture of one um, Sauvage, a red piece. I made several of those. Those were all gone collectors and out of the world. I was working at a museum then as a preparator at the Newberger Museum. 1980, 1981, I met a sculptor named Italo Scanga, who made animal forms out of tree, tree trunks. I also met Judy Pinto. I met a ton of people through the, through the museum. And I said, oh, and, you know, so I was making animal forms from my direction of Detroit-inspired art. But then I took a course at New York Academy on Spring Street I think it's on Lafayette, on Lafayette. 1983, I think it was. And we had cadavers. We had animal cadavers, uh, and they full-size cadavers of animals. And uh, my mother was a nurse, so I'm not shocked by seeing I saw as a kid, all the kids came in the neighborhood, they were cut or whatever they happened that came to our house. None of that bothers me. Anyway, so getting back to this, uh, we made model clay models. And that really helped me form my sculptures and, and my art because it let me form me on how to put the metal pieces in a certain spot besides myself. The viewer would, would understand that this is a horse or a tiger or whatever. And if you can hit those spots, your, our brains do the rest. When you, when you don't hit those spots, then things can get a little wacky. And, which in some ways is very cool. Um, but in other ways, for my art, I, I needed to like do that for about, I think I did that for a full year taking night classes. And it just really improved my my work. So getting back to this, I never draw. I just go at it. and I, I, And I have the kind of mind, I guess, that I see things finished. I don't have to really they're just fitting them back into in my sight. you know what how I look at a picture obviously you look at pictures and I don't I just don't draw at all
0: That's incredible so it just goes from your mind to to reality
1: yeah I did find a book of early drawings from like 1983 when I was just doing the the uh, the studies but other than that, And they were mostly very simplistic, quick sketches. Yeah, I just look at things. I do measure things. And there's a famous book, I can't think of the name of it right now, that has the correct sizes for certain animals. So if I'm making a 15 hand horse, I know that the head is 25 and a half inches. So when I form my art, if I know that I'm gonna end up with 25 and a half inches, I sort of work to that direction with this with my vision of what I want to do
0: so um how can someone find out more about your work you're on different platforms and you have a website as well
1: right now I'm in a show at the one Martine gallery which is in downtown White Plains um they can go to info at one Martine gallery that's one one word.com um and you'll see the show it's like a Valentine's base show a lot of a lot of fun a lot of there was a lot of fun paintings and uh, the gallery owner is great and it's worth it for it down to their parking under the building it's, it makes it very easy to get it to see the work the other gallery I'm with is a gallery in Katona New York um, it's called Chroma Fine Art Gallery on Katona Avenue in downtown Katona and they I've had with them in the last three years I've had several shows with them and I'm going to have a major show I believe it's going to be next in 2025 I'll have a um either a one-person or two-person show of my artwork probably March or April of next year um, I also have a website that is um should I sure oh it's www rspinazola.com and if you and I'm I'm on Facebook and all those kinds of things that's you know the uh, Instagram and all that and uh, I do I did want to do give a shout out this being the um, Lunar New Year it's also a time for me to reflect on those who have helped me I've been very lucky in my life to have people who who have helped me through, you know, um, helped me with my career. And the the first person was a Vietnam vet uh, who was also an artist and a sculptor, Dan Dickerhoff in Detroit. And he had been out of school for probably a couple of years and he was working in his father's business and he lived downtown where I lived. And he let me have my own know 20 by 30 space to work in just go ahead go for it amazing i mean you don't find people like that ever i mean the guy's an amazing guy and um in the last few years he was doing all the parade he was doing the art for the parades in detroit he's still in detroit area great guy dan dickerhoff and then um another guy who helped me out was a, a guy named David Weiss, who we worked together, I've had a lot of jobs to help my career. And I worked as, a, as like a millwright at, in, in these factories, assembling machines. He was kind of instrumental in getting me into the, see these other big machines, which helped me, you know, visualize things that have helped my career to date. Finally, I've met a lot of fabulous artists in New York. When I first moved here, I met uh, through my old girlfriend, a photographer, Barbara Morgan, very famous photographer who took pictures of Martha Graham and everyone in the, in the 40s and 50s. And we became fast friends and we would go, she and I would go into the city a lot to hear discussions about Mesoamerican art. She had traveled with her husband in uh, the 1920s and, er- and early 30s um, in southwestern US and had a great love for that art so we had a great friendship and I was able to meet some I met one time at the uh, not to drop names but I met Salman Noguchi and Martha Graham at this big 1980 this big Whitney event and I got to meet you know, meet people who you, you, you think you never would and um and she had a piece of my art on her lawn, Barbara did for about four or five years. And I met her, she was 79 and such a bright, smart artist. So I'm, I'm giving these shouts out to, to people who have helped my career as I get older. I, I'm realizing it's just fantastic when if you can help artists out in any way, as you are by, by these broadcasts, helping artists out. And I appreciate that too, really.
0: Aw, thank you so much. Is there advice you would give to the younger artists who are just starting out?
1: Well, I don't like to give advice. I just for myself. The only I give advice for myself, and that advice is, you know, be kind to people. I try to do every day. Find find something new in life every day, and if you can help someone out, if you smile at someone, that may make someone's day. You know. it makes my day. I try to be, at this point in my life, just try to be as centered as I can. It's a lot easier as you get older. You know, you, you become centered. But when you're younger, I found you can get distracted by what's happening with what your friends are doing and your, all the things in your life. There's a lot happening when you're young. When you're older, it's easier to stay focused because you've you've lived a lot and you there's a lot of distractions that just fall away as as we get older. But um, If you can put a little fun in someone's life or happiness, that's what I try to do every day.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. I believe in that too. (laughs) Oh,
1: great.
0: Great. That's my motto in life.
1: (laughs) Fantastic. Fantastic.
0: This was such an honor to have you on my show. You're an incredible artist. You're a great role model for other artists.
1: Well, thank you so much. It's just a pleasure to be here with you. This is fantastic. Thank you so much.
0: Well, thank you. And you pioneer by the way, I've never had a welder on my show before. All right. <laughs> and it's such a unique art form. And it's it's important artists should stick together and build each other up.
1: Yeah, we, well, generally we do. It's very I, I mean, I would say off the cuff 95% of the artists help each other. You have a few who I've met who don't. Who are just on their own path, but in life that's what happens anyway. So people who are just doing their own thing, anyways, no matter what's happening around them, it's more fun when you have when you meet people and you. It's just a lot more fun in life to engage people. I think it, uh, it helps not only artists but just people in general. I think for me it does at least. Yeah.
0: Absolutely, it's having that support system.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: We have a few more minutes left okay are there any upcoming shows you'd like to mention
1: if you want to see my outdoor sculptures generally they're in the katona area the one in the park the, the tiger which is really a, a fun piece that piece is on exhibit it's free to get in you can just drive up it's right there um, it also has one of those i don't forgot what you call those tags where you
0: the QR code.
1: The other thing I was going to say is a lot of my art on my website is in French, so people wonder why is it French. And I made a discussion yesterday. Where we were talking at the gallery. It's French because I'm from a French town that everyone knows is Detroit. Detroit, it's Detroit. Uh, it was founded in 1701, as most people know, and it was French until 1760. And the towns, the in the town of detroit the streets are named in french so i with my background in art history i like to like let people know that you know hey there's more than just what you see when you do research in something you know it's it's nice to, to explore in the arts more than just the surface of something so everything in of my work has been called uh, wild but in french sauvage and so all my pieces have french titles and all the breakdowns in my website show that too
0: i love it incredible it's an international journey going through your art pieces thank
1: you thank you yeah Uh, preparing for this maybe walk through a lot of years here i've been trying to put together something that was a little more succinct for, for your viewers to hear but it's interesting and i think it's good to record to make a diary, sort of. I've got to, I haven't done that, I mean, officially, but I, I should do that. But I think today was the first day of doing that.
0: That's <laughs> <laughs> wonderful. Well, yeah. thanks again for being on State of the Arts. You are the perfect guest for this special episode, the Lunar New Year special.
1: Thank you so much.
0: And I want to thank everyone for listening to another episode of State of the Arts. I encourage all of you to stay safe. Stay positive and stay true to your dreams. Take care, everyone.